Climactic started as a humble show with two co-hosts separated by thousands of kilometers in state boundary and one producer in a different country. The early episodes were enthusiastic, if not polished, but as humble as it was in practice. The goal was anything but. Mark here, and as the dreamer who had some pretty audacious goals for this show, it's a privilege to get to announce what you're about to hear, the newest member of the Climactic Network. We started as a show, with a few people involved, but had the good luck of growing into a collective, with new hosts, correspondents, and editors jumping onto the cause of sharing the stories of the climate community. We're proud of what we've achieved in that regard, the wide range of stories and storytellers, but it's been a tough sell to new listeners, even ones who would love it. Because how do you describe a grab bag, a variety show? You can, but it is difficult. So we're staying a collective, with new members welcome to join us to tell and produce stories. But we're also adding new shows. And this is the first. Artbreaker, the show by artists for artists, about how art gets made and why we make it in these climactic times. More details about the official launch are coming soon, but we'd love your feedback about this first episode. Greg is one of the hosts of Artbreaker, and we'll be interviewing musicians and music producers. We also have other hosts talking to painters, sculptors, playwrights, and authors. This would be a great time to tell a friend about the Climactic Network, so we can launch this new show with a bang. And if you're able to support us directly, we'd greatly appreciate you checking out our possible subscription in the show notes. Thank you for joining us as we bring you this first episode of Artbreaker. Soju is the project of producer-musician duo Zoe Galt and Greg Grassi. Greg is a friend of the show, and myself, and is the creator behind the Climactic theme song. Today, I'll be diving into the creative process with Greg, and taking apart, piece by piece, a track from Soju's new, and first, EP. For fans of the podcast Song Exploder, you'll notice we're paying homage to their style, and if you're not already... If you like this demo for what will be Climactic's first new show as a network, then you'd love them, and please check them out. Greg will be hosting this new show, but for this first episode, we're turning the tables and asking him about his musical process, his workflow, and how the climate crisis is affecting his work as a musician. Please enjoy this first episode of what we're calling Artbreaker with Greg Grassi of Soju. You're listening to the as-yet-untitled project 
on the Climactic Network, all about the artists and art that is shaping the world around us, how it gets made, and how it's influenced by broader societal issues as well. I'm here with Greg. Greg, you definitely should be interviewing yourself. We need to get a clone of you because there's so much going on in that track that I don't feel really qualified to to even ask about. I don't even know the right questions, but there's so much going on and it's fascinating. So let's take it right from the top. Greg, who are you? Well, hi, I'm Greg. I um, have been working as an audio engineer, musician, even though I don't consider myself a career musician in the slightest for going on five years now. So I'm making music under the moniker Soju, which has an unnecessary trendy X at the end, as so many good modern bands do. I'm part of a, a duo with my producer bandmate Zoe, and we are basically trying to put together a project at the moment that is hopefully going to be finished in the pretty immediate future. And yeah, we, we got started uh, in another pretty classic modern way, uh, which is to find each other on Gumtree, which was a, a pretty good way to even uh, kind of acclimatize myself to Sydney because I, I moved here mm. and was like, God, I got to do something interesting and creative and, and fun. And uh, this was the way to do it. So how did that go, the, the meeting each other on Gumtree? Who was looking for what? What did that ad look like? She had been posting around a bit to see if there was anybody similarly aligned to what she was looking to do. I'd been making music, you know, in the last few years under uh, a different name, and uh, she had in the past as well. She's kind of got a similar mindset to me in regards to electronic music and, and soundscapes and even kind of pop sensibility. And we also live... 200 meters away from each other as well, which was pretty convenient. Uh, so it's all come together really, really nicely. Zoe, would she consider herself a, a working musician, do you think? There's like a there's like a verge of hobbyist to it. But what's quite nice is that we're both very kind of industry-minded. We, we know what's got to be done well and how to do it well. And um, we both come from marketing backgrounds as well. Um, she's currently working in marketing and I've done plenty of marketing work in my life as well. So we kind of are approaching it. We're, we're sort of approaching it because it's a, still a fairly new project, only the CP going to be to show for it when we even launch it. But we feel like we're putting together a small business as well. That's how I feel every time I'm really working on it and thinking not just about the music itself, but like the image we're putting out into the world, what we're actually contributing, how we can get people to want to listen to it too, which I'm sure loads of musicians who are really taking it seriously um, feel a little time as well. Is there any tension there at all in how you think about it in terms of, oh, well, we could do this track and we could add this much production to it, which might be more than we need for this the song and for the concept itself, but we can do it, therefore we should, to show that we can? Interesting, because with music as an artistic medium, I feel like for a lot of people making it, the mentalities not necessarily changed, but highlighted a little bit differently in recent years. Because nowadays with electronic music, like if you're a bar band and you're playing, you know, Fleetwood Mac and Dire Straits covers, power to you. That is like, that has a sense of musicianship that I think a lot of bedroom musicians and bedroom producers don't have because you are four or five people getting together every week, practicing the hell out of something, getting on stage and everything needs to click because if it doesn't, it's going to sound awful and you have that real sense of pride of musicianship, but you're thinking less about things like the perhaps the engineering of it and, and uh, other aspects of what it, what comes with having, you know, an, an in-the-box setup as an electronic musician, right? But with 
electronically made music, a lot of it is really accessible to anyone. Before two months ago, I was still working out of an eight-year-old laptop and it was falling to bits, but it was enough to get me to make music that I honestly consider to be of a grade that you would hear anywhere. So, you know, there's like 15-year-old kids who are who are just picking up laptops and making music. And when I was starting out making little hip-hop beats, they sounded good, even though they were just, you know, four chords on the, like the stock piano of my DAW and, and some drums. And that has been proven to work for people anyway. So over-engineering things is more about choosing what should go where. And like the musicianship is important as you go along and you realize like nothing accounts for taste you can make whatever you want uh for yourself and not really for other people so if you want to be putting more work into things and layering them and texturing them and and giving a really specific mood you it's more about knowing what the hell you're doing rather than just uh putting more and more in do you remember the first time you made music that someone else got to hear yep well I think that this also relates back to how easy it is for people to just pick up and make music nowadays and and for it to get heard if you're really lucky enough to do it too. Because when I was really first was just starting out doing it, I was making it under a, a band name called Chambers, which was with another bandmate at the time. And I was making all of the music and, and doing all the mixing and passing it along to her and she would listen to it and then we'd get together and we'd write lyrics together and then she would sing and uh, I put it all together. And when we first got to the point where we had a entity of five songs, basically, at zero expectations, popped it online, did it all ourselves, and blessed be the New Zealand government incentives for looking for musicians with some seriousness to what they're trying to do for passing that ep around to radio stations to uh to student radio um and and getting one of our songs from that playlisted and that eventuated into a record contract and people hearing it and that was really incredible so to put it another way you were discovered and you were discovered in the age of putting music online and seeing where it went. Yes. It was something that I think getting discovered today is not necessarily about playing shows and A&Rs going to gigs, although I'm sure that's a big facet of it still. But if you are lucky enough, you can just put music online. And if it's of a serious standard that you're proud of, there's absolutely the outlet there for that to happen. Were you having enough fun in that time before the label, before the deal, before the, the being discovered to justify the time you were spending? Oh, man, it's really hard to look back on that period and think of it with with a clear mind because it, there was so much you knew going what on all later. at once. Yeah. yeah, it took it took later to actually realize uh, the difficulties that came out of that as well. Um I want to say, yes, I was having fun doing it because prior to the label, prior to some other events that kind of boosted that up as well, I was just completely doing it for fun. It was, I was still pretty new at it. I had no real clue what I was doing in terms of arrangement and in terms of mixing. And I was learning a new skill. That was really what it was. And uh, I had the grace of uh, a really good writing partner with my uh, bandmate Lucy at the time. Um, and so we were just putting things together for fun and seeing if anybody liked them. And our Facebook page was 
people that we knew wholeheartedly and that was it. It was a zero expectation thing and everybody always says when you listen to any sort of interview about uh, what should you do to make your music successful, mm -hmm. it's don't make it for other people. That wholeheartedly rings true to me. You should just make something that is for yourself if you are trying to make music that is personal and make music that is fun and make music that you really like to go back and think this is a period of my life and and I I made this stuff and it and it was what I was feeling at the mm -hmm. time and it's what I was doing at the time and learning at the time and it was just yeah it's it's like a little memory box well let, let's sort of open up those memory boxes in a little mm -hmm. bit before we get into sort of the the one track we're kind of focusing on today and the production side which I know you're raring to go on and I'm interested to hear all about the process but with you you making a lot of music right now you're working on this this next ep the first under the soju name yep and uh, you've got these tracks in the cp you've done earlier under chambers how did your mindset and what was going on in the world kind of affect your your writing process or i know it's going to be very different each track is coming from a different place it can come from a little stub of an idea it can come from something bigger but mm. looking back on it now especially like say the earlier chambers stuff who Greg was at the time, but also what was going on outside of you in wider society mm. kind of color the work you were making. Mm. The biggest difference for me between what I was doing previously and what I'm doing now is how I'm dealing with my internal self, I think, as well, in terms of where I am mentally. I mean, if you look online for any sort of problems that plague musicians commonly or people working in creative fields full stop it always comes down to mental health that's the thing that is the stickler that i'm sure that there's a question to be asked which is do creative people have mental health problems because they struggle being creative or is being creative the the cause of the mental health issue yeah when I first started making music, it almost entirely stemmed from being in a place of severe depression. And I was having anxiety problems that I'd never really faced before as well when I was doing it. Then this kind of was that outlet. and uh, But that's probably the way that a lot of people see their own music making as well. Whereas now... Well, I still face a lot of mental health problems, but I won't lie about that, but it, I have picked up tools to, to deal with it a lot better in the last five or six years as I've matured as a human being as well. And um, I still see music as an outlet for centering myself and, and centering my mind into something that I can come out the other side with that I'm really proud of as well. To keep my climactic hat on, Greg, has climate change affected your everyday mentality at all? or how you approach your music? What's going on in the world in regards to climate is overwhelming. Everything about it is terrifying to the point where you struggle with the idea of being able to make the change as a single person a lot. And I have met some incredible people in my life who put themselves on that firing line to try and make something happen. And I honestly, not even from a, from a, a artist perspective struggle personally on what i could possibly do to make a difference and it makes that feel hopeless you just think now i am doing something with my life in my mid to late 20s and 30s so you are a real human being enough for the first time in your life that you can go out and make a sort of a difference in the world 
but you have a very specific skill set that you've maybe worked towards uh, your entire schooling life prior. Uh, how do those two things interconnect? What can you do with the skills at your disposal? And music obviously has a huge background in activism, in that people who are making music oftentimes make music to go and be activists and voices of change. I don't know if that necessarily drives my own music, but it is something that is still always present on my mind if I got the opportunity to do something at all that benefited the world because music making is intrinsically quite selfish i've noticed as well a lot of the time there's a lot of people who really do want to use their platform to help others in similar positions and the world at large but when you are a small-time musician of any sort a lot of the time you're only thinking about yourself you're thinking what can i do here that's going to benefit me? What am I going to do here that is the next smash or the next thing that, that actually is going to make me rich or make me famous? And it's a, it's a pretty toxic mindset to have in itself. Like It's something that I really think people who are at the same level of artistry as what I consider myself need to be more open-minded about. They, they need to think, like, how can we actually band together rather than focusing only on ourselves? Yeah. Brought up a lot of really good things there, and I think you're right from the outside perspective. That makes complete sense. Why the dynamics at play in the market? If I was a individual solo artist, no one else is looking out for me. No one else has my back. I'm the only one who's yeah. really gunning for my own success. So you have to be, sadly, in that system, a bit opportunistic and take what you can get and just try to climb that ladder rung by rung, mm. even if it's sort of it over other people. Sense. It does. And yet the, the arts, and this is something I was very ignorant of and, and kind of didn't respect all that much until recently, that the role of the arts in society as being so important, reconciling this, like, to get to the space where you, you're having quite a big social impact, you have to climb mm. up through this kind of toxic, kind of insular, introspective, selfish system in order to get there, and then and then you're expected to have something positive or of use to say to society. Um, yeah, you said bending together is a better way of doing it, and working together with people and and collaborating more. Do you see that realistically as a better solution at scale to this problem of how do we encourage and enable people to be artists and to make basically our culture? I think so because I think that if you are creative minded, you want to give something to the world you want to express yourself and if you've got something to express usually or you would hope it's something of importance and so when you get more people together who have that same mindset it's going to immediately flourish into something that feels more community driven and i think is important to note when we're talking about like the the self-centered nature of trying to be opportunistic when you're struggling to make any sort of impact at all is with a lot of other creative outlets it typically takes more people. And as technology becomes more accessible and people are whittling into their own bedrooms, making music, making something for themselves, and that is personal, but they still want other people to listen to it because they're going to the extent of actually putting it out into the world, you are completely cutting yourself off from, from everybody else. And you aren't getting the benefit of getting other points of view and expanding your own mindset on those sorts of things. So really, things like 
networking and not on the basis of purely business elements of it, but actually networking to get to know the musicians in your community is going to, at the end of the day, expand your scope as well. I mean, I'm living in Sydney right now, and the idea of live music being an element here with our uh, lockout laws in the evening has basically meant that nobody really feels much of a sense of community. Everybody's like, oh, well, live music is dead. There's no point in making music in Sydney. But I, I think that there's a very hopeful sort of resistance to that, that people need to be feeling to keep going with it and not just be that depressed, anxious person sitting in uh, in their bedroom with a laptop. It's beautiful. I think I think you're totally right. And I think that a lot of the things you, you touched on there are themes that will continue to kind of tease out in the course of this show about how do you get out of the bedroom? How do you get out of this kind of solo pursuit of the arts? Other people as well hearing this will be excited about the prospect of teasing out more of your thoughts in the course of, of more of these interviews, which is not going to be hosted by me. And I'm so excited by that because I am, mm. I'm in awe of this. It's not my toolkit. For you, it is. So speaking of that, we're going to talk about the creative process of one song in particular. And then a la one of our favorite shows, Song Exploder, will play the whole song at the end of the episode. So Greg, take it away. What is the track we're going to talk about today? from the new Soju EP out soonish. We're getting into the mastering studio this week and I still have so much work to do, but so the track is called Monster Not Happy. An odd collection of words on its own. We pained over the idea of what we were going to call this song for a really long time. A lot of songs on the CP actually don't have immediately obvious names. This one, my bandmate and I were thinking of what we could write about on the CP that would be of interest on a, uh, on a larger scale and what people could actually relate to. And I've always kind of had this want to write something that is verging on misandrist but in like a entertaining way misandry is the practice of prejudice against the male gender so we have written the song that comes from like a lot of feelings of pushing away toxicity and monster not happy resonates that nicely but also it comes from one of zoe's vocal tracks that we wrote I had pitched her vocals down an octave to make her sound like a rumbly monster as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a silly, lighthearted title to a song that is meant to be pretty heavy, but also kind of entertaining in, in those aspects as well, and fun to listen to more than anything. The song begins with rainforest foley samples that I found through Creative Commons. I really wanted to set a mood with it that was very spacious and gives you the idea of being outside in the dark. I, I wanted to leverage something kind of urban with, with something totally naturalistic as well and paint a, a picture with 15 seconds of introduction, essentially. Uh, there's a lot going on in that. I'd like to do a lot of layering in my music that I want you to be able to feel it without necessarily hearing it. 
And that is a really hard balance to strike because I spend tens of hours, if not hundreds, in these projects. And at that point, what what I'm hearing is probably different to what somebody hearing it for the first time is going to be hearing. But in that small introduction, you not only have kind of highlighted rainforest noises to paint the monstrous idea. I wanted you to imagine in your mind's eye, like two wildcat's eyes looking at you out of the darkness. But there's also uh, quite a lot of human speech in there as well, buried way down and pitched all around in weird ways to give you, again, a bit of a sense of disorientation, but also to center it in an urban environment because the song is about telling some toxic dude to fuck off. So thinking back, when did this track kind of begin and, and how did it begin? What was the genesis for this track? Definitely coming up with the soundscape itself. I had been experimenting with the idea of not making a very straightforward three-minute pop song because that's just how my brain immediately kind of resonates towards. Towards the making the pop song or the not towards making the, the Towards making the pop song, absolutely. How would you describe the drums? The song has a very, you could consider easy drum beat in that it's a four on the floor drum beat that's a classic everybody has heard it in their lives because it most immediately resonates with people it's 90 bpm almost feeling like a heartbeat if we're talking about the way that a song should flow particularly from a rhythmic and a percussive standpoint as well the drums carrying the song need to have highs and lows uh as as it as it rolls through the easiest way to break into a new section in an exciting way is if you're a drummer with a crash symbol of some sort and something to anchor a new section in place but just to make it a little bit more interesting there's things that i've done in in the sound design like adding um a lion's roar as a crash symbol underneath it as well. So you've got normal sounding electronic drums or a typical kit, you would imagine, but then all of these natural six sounds that serve to help with the elements your ears are used to hearing as well. Get a bit of joy in that. You're sort of using those unexpected sounds to replace familiar elements. Is it kind of more for your enjoyment as well? It's definitely for my enjoyment to try and, and think of things that are going to suit it on a sonic palette that are really not what you'd expect. How do I actually make the song not sound like it came out of a computer too? Because if everything is coming out of a computer, you need to find ways to make it feel lifelike. People respond to music that sounds human, not so much that sounds completely fabricated. There's elements to even the pop of pop songs have some element of the instrumentation that resonates with the human mind to spark an interest to make something happen. So the drums as part of the song, they are, again, trying to use some of the Foley elements, trying to bring in elements that you are not expecting to hear as part of a drum kit. So like I said, there's a lion's roar, there's um, rainforest noises actually cut to the beat. So you're getting uh, a shine on some of the hi-hats that have 
like a the rain and the noise as that segment of the the hi-hat which i think sounded awesome when i cut it up in that way sidechain bassline that is pulling in from every drum hit and that gives you a sense of movement that um if you make any sort of electronic music you know that that sidechain is going to keep rolling you and keep taking your interest as part of it it almost sounds kind of not not wood blocky but it's like the boom 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 it's almost kind of tribal it's kind of like that sort of bongo beat to it exactly right so that tribal sound is a hang drum which is a tonal drum I first saw street musicians playing those. The genuine ones that you buy cost thousands and thousands of dollars, and they're all tuned to just one key. So they basically have parts of them that you hit that make these really resonant and kind of immediately interesting melodics. Like it's, it's, I think it's a very individualistic instrument that you don't hear very often. So it is a resampled hang drum in D minor that I have kind of built around this melody that goes throughout the chorus as well. And like you said, it, it's supposed to be tribal. It's supposed to give you that uh, sensation as well, all coming back to that soundscape. You'll hear throughout the song as well a bunch of gasps that come in before the end of every beat. And that, again, has been resampled from just takes of Zoe and my vocals. A lot of the times I'll lay down some demo vocals as well on songs before we get to that final recording. And they are sharp and kind of attention-grabbing every single time. Um, I think when you hear them, you'll never unhear them, but they are another naturalistic bridge to the drums that make you feel that human element and and it's got an urgency again that is part of that tribal feeling too so if i understand that right greg you had these field recordings i would call it in my you know with my podcast hat on that's right and you wanted to make essentially a, a three-minute pop song that included these elements absolutely it's it's something that i think gives it some immediate personality out of it too and where it went from there was building what we are trying to make a, a very strong and resounding song out of it that has a lot of that pop immediacy, but that still really keeps that feeling, that animalistic feeling, because it serves the message of the song as well. When you hear the song, there's loads of big, thick synth elements to it. There's a lot of risers. There's a there's a bit of EDM influence in it too. EDM as well lends to huge sounds and dark sounds and stuff that is going to suit the Foley recordings as well. So it's kind of an it's an interlacing of the two to to make something that has a has a palette has a sonic palette that is pretty respectable like you feel everything that's part of it but that also has the energy and and the catchiness of a pop record or an edm record as well where did the vocal track idea like sort of the concept enter into it well as a as a vocal idea when we were talking about it first lyric that came out of the song was in the big instrumental element of the song which is when she's kind of singing and almost 
screaming, but within her restrained voice, cut out your tongue. Cut out your tongue. Cut out your tongue. And that was something that I think resonated with me and her really well, that it's a pretty, it's a pretty raw sentiment. And we kind of worked backwards from there. We had this song that was dark and brooding and full of energy. And we had this refrain of cut out your tongue that really suited the mentality of the song. And we were thinking, what is going to take that message and that soundscape and work it into an entire song? Look at me sideways Do you think, think I am weaker? Careful, I'm a mess of Because a lot of the CP is trying to stay quite raw emotionally and as emotionally vibrant and open as we can from, from both of us, just trying to have something that is pretty... On occasion, you're taken aback by what you're hearing as well. Some of the lines, particularly the way that Zoe sings them as well. So we wanted to write this song that was really anthemic and a powerful thought of womanhood and and what would be uh, really punchy there and what would be like a fight song almost to that mentality as well. Darling, don't you see if you That fight song element as well. It does make you kind of fight or flight. Exactly, exactly right. That was a that was actually a draft of one of the names for the song. Fight or, fight flight. or flight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Call it anthemic, and I, I get that completely. I'd say what what really struck me is its lack of metaphor, its lack of abstraction. It, mm. it is so blunt in normal society day to day. We do use abstraction and metaphor in how we talk, and and kind of imagining like like a party scene. And there's yeah, some some toxic. Anti-social male. Can we say douchebag? <laughs> we'll bleep it, but yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, no, we're going to lead into it. This is the explicit show. Yeah, we can say okay. douchebag. That's fine. You're at a party. You've got the douchebag there. Whereas now we'd have to find some way to, you know, like, oh, you know, tell him to stuff off, tell him to F off, whatever. But if we were in nature, if we were in this kind of more primal setting, which you've set up in the song with these field recordings, you could tell him to, yeah, like, leave or I'll cut out your tongue because I don't like what you're saying. Mm. Sort of hearing the thinking behind it, I, I immediately am I'm, uh, I'm drawn to the song much more now. It's, it's great. Think, having the duplicity of, of having something that's still, uh, that has that primal idea, like you're saying, as well as being a uh, pop commodity in, in those uh, strands of what inspired the, the music and, and the songwriting places it nicely for you to enjoy, I think. Yeah. And it's a strong sentiment. And I really, I, I loved Cut Out Your Tongue when I first heard it. And there's there's a lot of choice lines throughout the EP that uh, Zoe has come up with that are truly pretty eye-opening if you think about them, and, and they're ve- they're very cool. I, I like it a lot. And now, in its entirety, here's "Monster Not Happy" from Soju.
And that, again, in its entirety, was Monster Not Happy from Soju. So, Greg, as the artist behind that song, now you've talked a lot about what went into it, what we heard in there that we probably didn't hear before. Did that feel kind of strange, kind of like being an artist at a gallery show and people are like asking you, oh, is this the meaning? Oh, is this the meaning? And you're like, no, no, th- this is what I meant. Does it, does it kind of feel like you created this beautiful thing and now all the all the bits are exposed of it. I relish any opportunity to talk about anything I've done creatively because there's not enough people interested in hearing about it. And that is totally fine. You know, I could talk about this for a hundred years. I'd love to see what goes into some of the processes behind the stuff. It is so cool. It's just, it's such a cool part of what I do on my day to day as well. I'm so happy to hear that because what we touched on a lot was the kind of solitary nature of a lot of the creation of of art in this day and age, especially in music and especially in electronic music, which is easily some of the most popular types of music out there. I think a lot of people are kind of suffering in silence in the process of making their art and they, they don't want to be isolated. So I'm really excited about this series moving forward. I'm really excited to hear you having conversations with other artists about these things that you're so passionate about and enjoy. Artists really have so much power, but they also deserve to get told their power a lot more and and listened to and what their art means to them and also to us. So thank you so much for joining me to, to do this. And how do you kind of feel about 
getting to do this today and also to, to talk to other artists about their process. Listen, like I said, I could do this all day and kind of <laughs> like my own music. If nobody else listens to me talking to other artists, I'm going to enjoy doing it anyway. So I cannot wait to chat to some people that we both know who are making incredible art and who really have something to say and and want to share and going into not just the the structural and technical processes of what they do, which is something that I find so interesting, but what drives them and what makes them want to get up in the morning and get behind their computer or on their guitar or on their keyboard, whatever it takes to write something and put something into the world that everybody else can hopefully enjoy. Yeah, I think you put it beautifully there, Greg, and I'm really excited about this project and seeing where it goes. All of you listening, you are very welcome to come on this journey with us. If you're an artist yourself, if you're putting out any work, if you're just a passionate fan of an Australian or South Pacific musician or artist, and you want to learn more about their process and about how they make the art that you love, uh, just get in touch with us and recommend them. This is definitely going to be kind of an artist forum to have conversations about not only how you make what you make, but why. And, and what it means not only you, but to your fans as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me today, Greg, for this pilot episode of this as-yet-unnamed project. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it will have a name. But if you've got a better one, just let us know. Send us a recommendation of a better name <laughs> or any feedback from today's episode to hello at climactic.fm. And we look forward to you hearing us again soon. I'm so into it. I can't wait. Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.